Hey, welcome to the Living the Dream podcast. This is your host, Timmy Douglas, and the goal of this podcast is to create a community that inspires action, accountability, celebrates progress, and helps people make the right connections to take that next step towards their dreams and goals. If you're looking for any one-on-one coaching to pinpoint your purpose and start taking steps in that direction, make sure to contact me on my website, workwithtimmydouglas.com, or on social media. On that note, let's get into the show. All right. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the Living the Dream podcast. Today on the show, we have Dave Foster, who is a qualified intermediary, and we're going to learn a lot more about what that is today. So, Dave, how are you doing? Timmy, it's awesome to be here. Yeah, I'm excited. I got to tell you, you're going to find out that I've been a qualified intermediary for over 23 years, and people should not feel bad if they don't know what it is. Because 23 years ago, when I described it, people would ask, and at that time, we'd have to tell them that we could tell them what it was, but then we'd have to kill them, <laughs> which was not a great way to market my business. Yeah, I'm just yeah. saying that now. <laughs> yeah, I'll probably uh, learn some d- different marketing techniques, some new copy throughout the throughout the years there. <laughs> well, awesome, Dave. We like to jump right in on the show. So if you could start with telling us a little bit more about yourself and what you like to do for fun, that'd be great. Oh, my gosh. Well, um, Actually, the greatest joy in my life is staying married after 34 years. Mm. We've made it a party, and the party just keeps going. So that's been awesome. Yeah, we've been married. Vicky's been my partner in business and mayhem the entire time. <laughs> we've got four incredible sons who have uh, all developed their own personality. I've got a nerd, a hippie, a jock, and a fashionista. So I'm never bored. I've got them all. That is epic. We live in St. Petersburg, Florida. Love the sun, love sailing, love Jesus. Awesome. That sounds like an epic life. Tell me 34 years of marriage. What's the secret? First of all, two words. Yes, dear. (laughs) But secondly, and that's kind of tongue in cheek, but really the key to any relationship is to seek first to understand and then to be understood. And it's awfully easy when you're in the heat of it, right? I want to make sure that she understands my point. But at the end of the day, that's your most precious possession that God's given you. And I've always been taken by that story of the Proverbs where it talks about the guy that goes and finds, it's worthless, it's worthless, the man cries. And then he goes and boasts about his purchase. Mm. It's like, if I'm married to the most amazing woman in the world, first of all, I should try to understand who she is. And secondly, I should recognize her worth and celebrate that. And I think when you've got two people trying to do that in a marriage, it's a pretty awesome thing. I love it. Yeah. And so as simple as that sounds, it is very difficult in practice when you are in the heat of the argument or, you know, you feel like your needs aren't being met. You have to be, yeah. put aside your needs and try to understand their side of the, your needs not being met. Like what's not working in the relationship for them before you just worry about you, which is a really hard thing to do. And well, you know what? They still call it practicing medicine today. Mm-hmm. Right. I've been practicing medicine for 50 years, still hoping to get it right. Yep. They should call it practicing marriage. Yeah. Because you're never going to get it right. 
your whole life. Just keep trying. I got gotcha. you. I got gotcha. you. Yeah. Well, tell us a little bit more about being a qualified intermediary. What does that mean? What does that entail? What does the day to day look like? Yeah, such an unbelievable part of the story. So a qualified intermediary is a person that the IRS requires in order for you to perform what is called a 1031 tax deferred real estate exchange. Mm. So there's this special person that has to be in the process. That's what I do. So I've got like, uh, it's kind of this cool thing. I'm kind of like Switzerland because I'm everybody's buddy because I help you save tax dollars and the IRS requires that you use me. So I'm a friend, but what a 1031 exchange does, and this is what's really important, is that it allows people that own investment real estate to sell their real estate and then go buy new investment real estate and not pay tax on the profits. Instead, they get to use the money that they normally would have paid to the government to go buy more property. It's like compound interest. Instead of me giving the money to the government to buy hospitals and roads and whatever, I get to use it for myself to buy more real estate, which makes more money for me. And then I just keep rolling these things down the road. Yep. And as an investor, at the end of the day, I'm generating a bunch of income for retirement and beyond simply because I chose to do this process every time I sell real estate. Yeah, I'm, I'm a fan of the 1031 exchange. Tell me, were you a little nervous when they were talking about taking it out? Oh my gosh, this time, yes. Because it seems like crazy is just a definition for politics in this world, <laughs> in this environment. But honestly, though, what's, what's been interesting is the statute. So what lets you do the 1031 exchange has been a part of the tax code since 1920. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's one of the oldest parts. Yeah. So I had a sense of comfort because, you know, prudent people can see how powerful it is for the economy and what it does. Uh, and every president that I've been under for the last 23 years has all talked about getting rid of it. Yeah. Some more seriously than others. This last one, they were looking for places to find money. And so we were kind of like, oh, this one doesn't feel so good. But at the end of the day, they figured out that if you take 1031 exchanges away, you're going to get some capital gains tax dollars from investors. But what you're going to lose, you're going to lose the income tax from two realtors. Yeah. From, well, actually, from four realtors, from two title companies, from two painters, from two home stagers, two inspectors. And you start doing the math and you realize that by collecting a little bit of capital gains tax, from the investor, they lose billions of dollars yeah. in tax revenue. As soon as they figured that out, life became, we could breathe a little bit more. 1031 was safe, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> awesome, that's great to hear. Well, tell us a little bit more about the story of becoming a qualified intermediary. You talked about you having a vision for your family of wanting to raise them yeah. on a the boat. So tell us about that story. Yeah, so my wife and I live, so I guess you guys at the backstage, my wife is a Minnesota girl, I'm from Kansas. We met and married in Colorado. Now, the only thing you need to know about those three locations is that there's no salt water any of them. Mm -hmm. And we were in two high-profile careers, just grinding it out, having a good time, but working pretty hard. 
and we had our first son. And that was the game changer. Because all of a sudden we threw away the TV. No need for that. You just want to sit around and watch this little bundle, you know, gasp and burp and be their pants and everything's beautiful. <laughs> and we realized though that the most important commodity that anybody can have, that we have, is time. Mm. And time is limited. So you have to spend that commodity wisely. And we said, okay, the corporate train where we're at, this doesn't feel good. What can we do to get out so that we can maximize the time that we have with this child and anything come with that? So we started looking around. And what does the Minnesota girl, the farm boy from Kansas, living in Colorado, discover? It would be really cool to go live on a sailboat and sail the world. Where did that come from? I have no idea. I think it was actually just because it was one of the cheapest ways to do it. So we started taking sailing classes. We, started, we realized this is what we want to do. How can we fund that? Because it's a little hard to run a barber shop or own a company on a sailboat, right? So like a lot of your listeners, a lot of us today, we said, gosh, you know, owning real estate would be a wonderful thing to do. So because I'm a big fan of ready firing, I went and bought a piece of real estate <laughs> and I fixed it up and I sold it. I was one of the first fix and flip guys, I guess. But I made what I thought was a truckload of money till I went to my accountant. And he said, wow, you know, a lot of tax on that this year. I went, no, 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 that's not the point. The point is to put the money in my savings account, to buy the boat, to go sailing. And it was at that point that I realized that everybody in real estate investing has a silent partner. And his name is Uncle Sam. Yep. And if you're not careful, Uncle Sam's going to make more money than you will. So I we, we had a 10-year goal. And all of a sudden, living like that, it turned the 10-year goal into a 25-year goal. And it's like, how can we make this work? And it was right at that point in time that there was a huge court case that was resolved in favor of the, the investor. The IRS lost. And all of a sudden, instead of having to do 1031s a very particular way that wasn't user-friendly, it was going to be as simple as sell your old real estate, use a qualified intermediary, go buy new real estate, indefinitely defer paying the taxes. And when I saw that, I went, well, that's the answer, because that's exactly what we could do. And at that moment, some friends said, Dave, ha ha, look at that tax you had to pay. Want to join us? Because we're going to start a company to do this. And I said, absolutely. And so that was it. And then through the course of the next 10 years, we positioned our real estate from Colorado to Connecticut to Florida. And we also did a thing called the 121 exchange. Are you familiar I'm not. with that? So the 1031 is for investment real estate. 121 is for your primary residence. And if you live in your primary residence for two out of the five years prior to selling it. You don't pay tax on it. I am familiar with this. Bingo, yeah. yes. If you're married, it's up to the first $500,000 of profit. That's huge. That is huge. So every time we sold a primary residence, that money went into the buy the boat fund. 
And then we continue to move our investment real estate around the country to finally get it to Florida. And 10 years within the week of making the goal, we sailed away on our sailboat with our three soon to be four boys living off of the income from tax deferred real estate assets in a tax-free boat paid for by tax-free real estate sales. I gotcha. So were you also buying investment properties during this time or was all the prop was it all profit from your primary residence switching? Oh no, it was investment properties because it was a combination of the boat. I got you. The primary residences were tax-free. That bought the boat. The investment properties, we just continued to grow it so that we had a large enough portfolio at the end that we could live off of that. Yeah. But then Timmy, there's one other little thing in there. It's deep, deep weeds, but you can also convert properties from investment to your primary and then later sell them and get part of the gain tax-free. Oh, wow. Yeah, hello, right? So we did that two or three times in the middle as well to make sure we had enough for the boat. So 23 years later, I've never paid a penny in capital gains tax. Mm. I love it. <laughs> Real estate is such a beautiful game. I just, I love it so much. It's such a great wealth builder, so much opportunity. And so let me ask you how you went about buying these properties. You both were working corporate jobs. Did you just take the income from that and you did the traditional 20% down on every investment property? Was it remote investment properties? Was it where you were? Tell us a little bit about your criteria for the investment. Property. Yeah, so way back in the day then, it was a whole different world. The internet had not changed anything. So all of the top investors that you would talk to would tell you to invest near you. Mm. Invest where you keep an eye on your assets. So for us, that was the Denver metro area. So we kept buying in the Denver area. And our goal originally was to buy 10 properties, 20% down conventionally, rent them, pay them off. And then for retirement, we would have 10 properties bringing in around $2,000 a month each. And that was going to be retirement. What we learned was that I got this problem. I'm kind of an adrenaline junkie <laughs> and with a touch of ADD. It's a bad combination. So, I kept getting fascinated with other aspects. So we were buying single family residences and I thought, well, gosh, how do duplexes work? Oh man, what about commercial properties? Raw land? Is there a way that I could become a building? Yada, 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 yada. And before you know it, we've dabbled in all of them mm -hmm. to try and decide. I even bought a property once and converted it by development into a movie set for a major motion movie picture. Just because I wanted to. That's epic. <laughs> yeah, tell that to my wife. Did I mention 34 years? She put up with this. <laughs> I got you. Yeah, I could see. I could see, especially my fiance right now. She's less on the, she's like more be consistent, less risk, all that good stuff. And so switching up the strategy would stress her out. So I'm sure it stress your wife out as well. You know what? Great advice for people. Those are two incredible strengths. Play to your strengths with each other. Mm. The only time we've ever gotten in trouble in our real estate investing career was for a short period of time when basically the entire world lost it in 2008. 
But right before that, I was having such a fun time that I actually went to her once and I said, you know what? One more time, we're all in. It's going to be fine. And she had some other stuff going. So she, it kind of just went over her head. And then later she said, what did you say? And by then it was too late. Yeah. So we ended up losing it for zeros in 2008. But when one is consistent and one is aggressive, you can really use that as sounding boards mm-hmm. to balance each other out because the best path is probably right up with them. Mm. I love it. There we go. Well, tell us a little bit more about your motivation, Dave. What really gets you up and keeps you going every day? Boy, uh, Familia is so huge. Um, you know, we wanted to maximize that time. So we lived on a sailboat for 10 years and got to raise our four boys there, came back to land, and now I've kind of started to launch them off. And so one of my greatest joys is working with them to raise them as young men of God, to raise them as sound businessmen, and to help them pursue their dreams and goals wherever they want. You know, my nerd is an engineer, is an auto electric engineer. We started working with them to invest in real estate. My hippie is going to buy an organic farm. Uh, my jock joined us in the company. He's an economist. And my fashionista is probably going to want to go into multifamily or do fix and flips because he's got an eye for it. So what gets me up is the thought of being able to help them reach their goals. And in the 1031 business, it's such a natural overflow because everybody's got dreams. They've got passions. And if real estate is one of the ways you want to get there, that there is no better way to build real estate wealth than the 1031 exchange. Mm-hmm. It'll build more wealth and it's going to take you more time to do it, which may sound like that's a bad thing. It's not. Imagine the candy store where you've got the choice of selling the candy every day or eating it. You're probably going to be a little tempted to eat too much. Yeah. But if you can only sell it, you're going to make more profit. Mm. The 1031 exchange forces you to hold on to properties and take the time to generate income and then sell them and do it over and over again and keep the money rolling forward. Yeah. So it's it's kind of like a discipline bill. It's like the layaway plan for wealth. <laughs> I got gotcha. you. Yeah, no, I like the 1031 exchange. I also know, do you know about the Burr method? What would you say about 1031 versus cash out refi reinvest the money? Because I'm pretty sure with a cash out refi, you can, I guess you get less equity, but it's still tax free. Is that right? Yeah. When you do a cash out refinance, generally you can borrow 20 to 25%. And it's actually, I think I've seen them come out now 90%. It just depends where you're at in the market. But you can borrow a percentage of the equity that's in your real estate. Now that's kind of awesome because that's tax free. Beautiful. With the with the if you simply sell your real estate and you simply want to use that money, you're gonna pay tax on it. Or you could do a 1031 exchange. Yes, I got you. Now let's tell your your listeners in case they don't know what the BRRR stands for. Oh yeah, let's let's go. Okay. So first of all, it's buy, right? Rehab, rent refinance and repeat. Am I right? Yep. Got it. Got it. So you buy a piece of property, you fix it up. 
that makes it worth more. Then you put a renter in it. Why? Because the renter's going to provide cash flow for you. And because the renter ups your income, so now you qualify to go do a refinance. You pull the cash from the refinance out. And remember, that's tax-free. And who's paying the mortgage for that, Timmy? The renter. Yeah. And so you take the cash out money and you do what's the last R? Repeat. You go buy a property with that money, fix it up, rent it, refinance it, repeat. So you're growing your portfolio exponentially. Here's what I did with the 1031 exchange. I added a couple R's. What R? The first one. So you still do the same thing. Buy it, fix it, rent it, rehab it, and then buy your next one. And then occasionally you will re-evaluate. Because that first property, it now might be time to sell it and 1031 exchange. And by doing what is called a diversification exchange, you can sell a piece of investment property and go buy multiple properties. Mm. Sell one and buy two. And what are you going to do with them? Same thing. Fix them, rent them, refinance them. So I have literally a couple clients that will do 30 to 40 1031 exchanges every year. That's 30 to 40 property sales. Every one of them, they've owned for more than a year. Wow. And the reason why they can do that is because they have exponentially grown their portfolio. Hmm. So now if they ever want cash to go buy something and the refinance cash isn't enough, they sell a property at 1031. Hmm. Huge tactic. And you can also, correct me if I'm wrong, but say you like sell a single family, you get 300K in profit. You can put that into like a fiveplex. Is that right? Absolutely. The type of real estate doesn't matter. See, that was my problem. There were too many things to choose from. So the type of property doesn't matter. And the amount of money does not matter. As long as you purchase at least as much as you sold, mm. you'll defer all tax. So you could sell a single family, go buy multi. You could sell a multifamily, go buy commercial. Sell a long-term rental, buy short-term rental. And you could do that anywhere in the country. So a lot of your folks that may be listening from California, what's the biggest problem in California? Property appreciates great, but I can't make any money renting it. Yep. So you sell that property, do a 1031 exchange, and go buy three or four properties in Omaha, where they're cheaper, but they cash flow great. Yep. And that's how you can do that. Now, for the adrenaline junkie in all of us, we all like to fix and flip, right? Because I want to create things. I want to do this. I'm impatient. I need cash. Well, that's when the Burr method can really be adapted to work for you. Fix and flips don't work for 1031 because your intent has to be to hold the property. So if you just buy it to fix it and sell it, that doesn't qualify. But what if you bought the property, fixed it, rented it, and refinanced it instead of fixing it and sell it? You still get cash, right? Yep. To use what you want. But then you simply hold it. And then whenever you want to sell one and do a 1031, sell the ones that you own for you. And now you're a fix and flipper because you've always got a project you're working on. 
you're just not flipping it too quickly. Yeah. So you can still get all the tax deferral. It's a beautiful yeah. game. I love it. Ooh, I love real estate. <laughs> it gets me going. Um, cool. Well, Dave, we're going to jump into your dreams and goals now. And it looks like you've already accomplished a lot of them having done the sailboat. But what is the vision for the rest of your life with your family and your business? <sighs> well, I think definitely I would love to hand the reins of this to, to my son, who's coming along in the business with us. He's a, my gosh, the guy's an economist. He's way smarter than I am. So at some point in time, I'll just be deferring to it. But, uh, you know, as long as 1031 is around, it's going to be an incredible tool for people. And it's a family business for us. And we love to help others. Mm-hmm. There's just a ton of joy that comes from talking to a new client and having them realize that that $100,000 profit, they get to keep all of it yeah, and go buy another property. So the idea of being able to give back that way is absolutely awesome. In terms of goals and dreams, it was kind of funny too. There was, we actually found last year an old paper from when we were married, 1988, where we had written down some of our life goals together. A sailboat was not on them anywhere, which was funny. But there was a goal to have a ranch where we raised cattle and horses. That's the farm boy that'd be coming out. So I'm sitting there thinking, okay, we're on land now could be time to start thinking about that ranch. I and you know like- how we'll get it? We'll tip 31 exchange a couple properties into a new ranch. There we go. I love it. Oh, that's so amazing. <laughs> Setting yourself up for success so well with that 1031 exchange. Well, what are the top one to two skills that you need to develop right now to hand the reins of the business over to your son or get that ranch? where you have those cattle and horses that you want? Uh, top two things I've got to develop. You know, I actually, and this is kind of fun because I, I love to learn new things. I grew up on a farm in Kansas. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was a family farm. Actually, my the first generation of our family were fighting the Indians in South Central Kansas. Oh, wow. That's how long ago this was. Yeah. So, but unfortunately what happened was that over the generations, there was no vision for growth and increase. Mm. It was like they homesteaded, it, they grabbed, they got the, the ranches and farm the farms they could. And then they willed it through their inheritances, not to one job, but maybe to three and four children. Mm. So every successive generation, it got diluted. Yeah. Until finally now with the, the passing of my father last year, and I looked at my boys and said, guys, there's not much farm left. He said, that's okay, Dad, we're counting on you to get the ranch. So they're inherent in there is this idea of getting something with growth in mind. And for me, that means relearning what agriculture and ranching business is in 2023. Hmm. So the world changes and you, you can either keep pace with it or it's going to catch up with you and and life does not pass you on the right. Life goes right over the top of you. Yeah. So I would say that's that's probably the first and foremost thing is developing that. And then secondly, developing our portfolio and my children's portfolio so that they too are set up to grow rather than have to only look towards shrinking as we pass on. There's actually a beautiful acronym for the 1031 investment. 
that fits into this. I just thought of it. It's the four D's. Have you ever heard of them? I've not. So D number one is defer, as you might imagine, because every day that you get to use the money instead of paying it to the government is a day of profit for you. So for it might be someone like me who's trying to do this all his life. It might be someone like a couple of people I know that are my clients where they're doing it intergenerationally. But you try to keep the tax deferred as long as you can. The second D is defer. Because you can use this throughout your life cycle and throughout any real estate cycle. Get out of California, buy in Omaha, get out of single family, go buy commercial, do whatever you want. It will always stay deferred. What do you think the third D is? Defer. Bingo. <laughs> because as you go through life, you're going to want to maybe move from more active management to more passive management. I don't want to answer plumbing calls when I'm on my horse in the range. Yeah. Right? So I'm going to go from active to passive. I'm going to go, for a lot of people, it means moving their portfolio to where they want to retire. I want to live in Sarasota. Well, fine. Do you want to still manage properties in Cincinnati? Or do you want to move them with your 1031 down to Sarasota with you? By the way, remember that conversion thing? Mm -hmm. When those people get ready to retire, they're going to sell their Cincinnati house. That money's tax-free. Where are they going to move? Into one of their former rental properties in Sarasota. Because that doesn't create a taxable event. All the money from the sale of their Cincinnati house goes into their pocket and starts their retirement. So even as you get towards the end of your investing period, life continue to defer. Now, I could play a horrible trick on you and ask you what the fourth D is, but I'm not going to do that. <laughs> because you'd get it wrong. The fourth D is to die. Oh. Yeah, right? Okay, I don't recommend it. <laughs> but we're all heading that way. So let's talk about it. when you die owning real estate, your heirs inherit that real estate at what is called a step up in basis. That means they get it as if they paid market price for it on the day you die. Every bit of that deferred tax, every bit of the depreciation write-offs you've taken over the years, all of that goes away. If you die only owing a million dollars in tax, your heirs get that real estate and that million dollars in tax goes away. Wow. There has never been a tool that powerful to build intergenerational wealth. Yeah. So start deferring it, keep deferring it, die while you're deferring it and your heirs get to start the clock over with no tax due. Mm. So that's where I'm spending a lot of time trying to position my portfolio so that my children will be able to take advantage of the tax free. We have one family that sold a farm. Part of the farm was their primary residence. They took it tax free. The rest of the money of the farm was investment property, right? Mm -hmm. So they did a 1031 exchange and they bought a property near each one of their three children. They told their children, 
here's the deal, guys. We have to make the money because we're not farming anymore. But we promise you'll get the property when we die. Would you be willing to manage it for us? Kids said, sure. So mom and pop started their retirement with tax-free dollars in their account. They took a cruise to Alaska. They started living big. The children are managing the properties. So the parents have motivated managers in place that they're making money from. Because the kids know they want to keep it nice. So when the mom and dad guy, they get it. Yeah. We talked about dying. When the parents die, the children will get those properties tax-free. And guess what grandma figured out? Hmm. Every trip to go see her grandkids was now going to be a business write-off to go check out their investment properties. Come on. Does yep. it get any better than that? It really doesn't. <laughs> it really doesn't. It is so... What a little financial education can do, it'll just take you so far. Like just this small amount of information that people got in this past 37 minutes about the 1031 exchange can create such a good like foundation for wealth, for building generational wealth for generations to come. So man, it's amazing. I'm so glad that you came on the show to share this today. <laughs> Thank you. Of it's course. awesome. You know, there's a, uh, talking about now I take it forward. There's, there's a story in Exodus 17 mm -hmm. where the, the Israelites are fighting this huge battle. It's a weird story because it says that as long as Moses had his hands in the air, they were winning. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, as soon as he put his hands down to get a drink or whatever, they started losing. Yep. At the end of the day, his hands were pretty darn tired. Yep. So Aaron and her two guys went up and their job was to hold his arms up. Mm -hmm. And so that day, the Israelites won this huge battle. Well, I think what a great metaphor that is for us. We spend our lives building up these things. But at the end of it all, what if we could be the Aaron and the hers for our children, for our friends, for people we come into contact with? There's a ton of people listening to your show or watching your show that are, are wanting to desperately grow their careers, create the same margin, and they're working hard, like you said, to do it. But what if we're coming along behind them just so that we can be the people that hold their arms up mm. when their arms get tired? That's what financial education can do. Go learn from the people. They're not going to do it for you. It's your job. But they're going to hold your arms up yeah. so that you can't do it. And that's the kind of assistance. You know, the Bible talks a lot about just how much more valuable it is to give than receive, right? I mean, that's kind of, everybody says that, more valuable to give than receive, especially when they want something. But be that as it may, talks several times about trying to give honor, try to outdo each other in giving honor, don't get tired of doing good. What if the whole course of the rest of our life doesn't just stop with getting it, but then the rest of it is even more fun, giving it. Mm. That's a pretty awesome life. It is. Yeah. Yeah, and I've um I've listened to some Tony Robbins, some other people that have just talked about the fact that giving is where we get our most the most the most fulfillment we'll ever get in our life. Like service 
giving, holding people's arms up. Like that's what life is really about. And we're all working to acquire, acquire, acquire really early in our life to get to the end of them and be like, all I want to do is give. Right. So I love that, that you pointed that out. Well, awesome. If there were one or two people that you can meet right now, and this could be a specific person or a type of person, and they'd really help you take that next step towards your dreams oh. and goals, who would they be and how would they do it? Oh my gosh. That's a great question. <laughs> you know, I would love to meet C.S. Lewis. Mm. Um, that dude had it all. I mean, he was, he was, a, I mean, okay. I, I don't even describe. He was so deep in his faith that he was so much a part of the regular world. You know, you read the stories about all these monks and people that distance themselves. They create separation. They don't want to be part of the world. But when I read the Bible, all I ever see is Jesus going to parties yep. and non-Christians. Yep. So I'm sitting there going, that's who C.S. Lewis was. He wasn't scared to just hang out with regular people. I would love to have him teach me how to be a source of encouragement to just everyday people. Mm. I, love I had never thought of that till to this moment. Thank you. <laughs> of course. That's why I asked the question. That's why I asked the question. Speaking of being a source of encouragement to other people, at first I thought this question wasn't going to be relevant so i skipped over it but now i'm going to go back to it what character trait do you think you most need to develop right now to kind of further your dreams and goals further the person you want to become patience (laughs) (laughs) hey what was my problem 30 years ago is still my problem today i just might be a little bit better at it and hey if there's encouragement for anybody in that you're never going to get rid of who you are. Mm. That's because God made you who you are. And God doesn't want just a bunch of copies coming off the line. He loves you right who you are and where you are. Now, with that being said, he probably wants you to work on something. But what makes you think you're ever going to get done working on that? Yep. That's part of his goal for you. Well, so, yeah, patience. Yeah, I got gotcha. you. I got you. Awesome. Well, now we're going to go through our thriving three real quick. What's your favorite book, movie, or podcast? Pick one. You know, I didn't have all three options. I used to get a book. Okay, book and movie because they're the same thing. Book is The Lord of the Rings Trilogy by J.R.R. Tolkien. Mm. Contemporary of C.S. Lewis. He wrote the gospel of the Bible inside a book of fantasy. And I've probably read it 70 times. And it still always brings me to tears and always, I used to go out and have sword fights with my sons while we read it together. It was just so awesome. But the movie that goes along with that, check it out because it's, it's a slow burner and it's simply called Tolkien. Mm. And it's the, it's the sort of a true story of how he was raised and lived and wrote the books for his children. Yeah. It's incredible. I love that. I was going to ask you when you said the one person you'd meet is C.S. Lewis. I was going to ask you if you knew that he was so close with J.R.R. Tolkien, but you did. Oh, man, listen. Okay, I should qualify. I want to meet C.S. Lewis hanging out having a beer with J.R.R. Tolkien. So it's a three for. There we go. There we go. There we go. 
And what's one way you like to take care of yourself? We have been so fortunate to spend 10 years on the water, seeing the water. I'm a farm boy that grew up reading the books by Jacques Cousteau on the water. So the ocean has always been my solace. We have been really blessed to be able to move right across the street. So for me, walking 200 steps and sitting by the beach and just listening, the scenery's different every minute. Mm. And it just brings a peace to my soul. Yeah. There we go. 200, 200 steps from the ocean. Huh? Y'all got a really nice property, it seems like. <laughs> <laughs> well, till a hurricane comes by and it's actually underwater, but yes, you know, be that as it may. <laughs> awesome. And now we're going to jump into our final series of questions. And these can get a little personal. So if you ever want to pass, just be like, I don't want to answer that. I'm going to pass. And I'll be like, okay, cool. And we'll move on. So, what is one limiting belief that continues to pop up in your life, if any? I'm not good enough. Which is a lie because I am. Because why? Who's I am? Yep. By the way, instead of saying pass, I'm going to answer it. And if it's too uncomfortable, I'm going to point it right back at you. Sounds good. All right. <laughs> now, where does that limiting belief come from that I'm not good enough? Oh, for me, I think it comes a lot from influences growing up. We have to be so, so careful as adults. Uh, because casual little remarks that are made to a child, a great aunt of mine who once uh, ridiculed salesmen, and one of my uncles who was a salesman because that was all he could do, mm. created in me this false belief that selling something's not a not a honorable occupation. Yeah. Or someone who says you can never do that, or someone who does the opposite. And celebrates you when you don't do it right. Mm. And they celebrate, oh, you did that so well. No, you didn't. But yeah. you put your heart into it. Find what's right and celebrate it. And I think listening to those voices over time, gradually adults become accustomed to thinking about their own limitations. Has that been true for you? Yeah, I would say I... I don't know if the wrong things were celebrated, but maybe the right things for the wrong reasons. Like my high performance was always celebrated. So I was always a decently high performer when it came to football, when it came to school. And because that was the only thing in my life that was celebrated, I felt this crippling pressure to keep up the high performance. And so I became very afraid of failure because I was living my life based on other people's um, kind of other people's opinions of my life. Instead of your own your own core beliefs about yourself. Exactly. And as soon as we fail once, what does that do? That just proves, oh, that's right. Yep. I'm not as good as I thought I was. Literally. Yeah, Literally. that's exactly what happens. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, and so I would say my limiting belief comes around like failure of like, you're like, you're one step away from total failure for the rest of your life. And I'm like, total failure for the rest of your life doesn't even exist. <laughs> but it's like, you will always be a failure and you're one step away from it is like one of my limiting beliefs that kind of keeps fear in my heart. And so and it keeps you from really doing the key thing, which is to keep putting a foot 
in front of the other. Yep. As a sports guy, you know the analogy. What Ray Gretzky said, you'll miss 100% of the shots you never take. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. What actions do you have that reinforce the belief of I'm not good enough in your life? This can be daily, weekly, monthly. Maybe it happens once a year, but you have this belief. It generates some thoughts, generates some feelings. And from all that, you have an action. Do you have any of those in your life or have you kind of gotten rid of them? No, are you kidding me? Uh, <laughs> actually, I've kind of developed this fun little mantra. And I've shared this with a bunch of young men that I've worked with over time. Because those kinds of thoughts are so insidious. Mm-hmm. You don't see them coming. They burst. Uh, for instance, today, we had some friends over last night. They brought their dog. This, this is, okay, graphic information coming up. Their dog left a present for me in my bedroom beside the bed that I did not see before going to bed. Oh. I got up and looked at it and said, okay, I'm going to fix that later. Okay. But in the meantime, my wife came in at some point to do something with the bed and saw that. And all she looked at was with a piece of surprise because obviously that was kind of surprising yep. the insidious voices in my mind took that and said darn it foster you disappointed her you were going to take care of it you didn't take care of it you're such a loser how could you let her down that way and then right that it just escalates uh-huh. that's the kind of thing and it happens like that so my mantra that I've taught people, taught people is this old Minnesota Scandinavian proverb where they have a little bit of an accent and you just have to learn the words to say immediately. Oh, for dumb. Oh, for dumb. I was sure dumb on that one, wasn't I, Ali? Oh, for dumb. <laughs> and then let it go mm. and start over. Because God is the giver of unlimited qualities. So what was that? What was that phrase one more time? O for dumb? O for dumb, like O-H-F-E-R for dumb, D-U-M-B, O for dumb. I got you. Because it acknowledges, yeah, you should have done something different right there. But guess what? It's over. O for dumb. Not to start over. There we go. <laughs> and so if you were to um, think of an abundant phrase that really spoke to your heart, the piece of your heart that is kind of plagued with that limiting belief, what would that phrase be? I'm going to share my life first with you, which I think kind of says that because when I have a tendency to let those thoughts come in and begin to think that I'm not enough, that I'm not good enough, then Micah 6, 8, verse in the Bible, reminds me God is not surprised by any of this. So let's ask what God really does desire. Because it's not your offerings. It's not your achievement. It's not your All-American Awards. What does God really desire? And it's three things. Do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. And if it fits into any one of those three buckets, I want to pursue it with all my heart. And if it doesn't, oh, for dumb, I'm going to let it go. (laughs) There we go. All right, we got one last question for you. 
And I want to frame this next question. So Alex Hormozzi, do you know who that is? Don't. He's, he's like probably a, somebody really famous. Nah, uh, he, he's not. He's kind of famous. He's not that famous. He's a YouTuber, business guy. Um, <laughs> he's done a lot for the entrepreneurial community, especially the young guys like me. Okay. And he said that the difference between manipulation and help is intent. And I think his point here is that you're influencing people in both situations, but manipulation is about getting somebody to do something you want them to do, while help is about seeking first to understand, like you said earlier, and then um, helping them get to where they want to get after you understand where they want to go. And so there's this common saying, this question, by the way, is more about help. So we're seeking first to understand than helping people get there, not manipulation. So there's a common saying that you can lead a horse to water but you can't make it drink. I actually found out from a guest on my show, Dr. Alan Laika, that you can make a horse drink. You just have to salt its oats. Now, I want you to think of a person with a really fixed mindset. They're not willing to accept help. They're not willing to accept change, but they also really hate their life. They're not content with where they are. How can we, you and I, create an environment to salt their oats and help them change their life? Gosh, I love that example. And I had never heard the second half of that. <laughs> That's awesome. So, oh my gosh, there's so many things, ways to go on this. Don't, let me add to that. I say basically what we're trying to do is change that person. But what you're saying is, are we trying to do it because there's something we get out of it? Or are we trying to do it because of our desire for their benefit? And I, that's what your YouTuber got. I have a love-hate relationship with social media. <laughs> Basically, I love to hate it. So we use it to market. But yeah, that's... Anyways, to all the influences out there, I'm sorry I love you, but I just want to always recognize your name. Uh, I think he's absolutely right. I think you've got to first ask the question, what is my intent? Mm -hmm. Is it honorable? But I think you've got to then get beyond that and say, okay, even if my intent is right, I got to look at the actions that I'm pursuing because certain actions, even done with a good intent, can still end up. Because what's the what's the problem? Say the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Mm -hmm. So we got to have to differentiate there. But I would say that overall, my philosophy in general on this is very narrow and specific. Nobody ever changed their thinking became a follower of God or changed their world paradigm. Nobody ever did that because they lost an argument. Mm. So I am never going to try to reason. I know there's people that can't. I'm not that good. I don't reason with people. I don't argue with people. What I'm called to do is to love people. And I think that when you love people, the door for a relationship is always open. And what changes people is a relationship over time. Because mm. they'll change themselves. I don't know, does that make any sense? That makes Help perfect. me out with that. No, I, I love that answer. I love that. In fact, I ask this question just about every time I interview a guest. Because I'm always looking for little tidbits that people add. And I would say that simple phrase of relationships over time change people 
is a new perspective that's like yeah i kind of had it but now i have the words to like clearly communicate that idea and so i really like that awesome there we go well dave that's all we got for you is there anything else you want to chat about before we sign off uh i just you tell me what's your biggest piece of wisdom from how you live your life today not overall but today what's a piece of wisdom from how you live today I would say my biggest piece of wisdom from how I live today to people out there living their life, I would almost say um, it's kind of Will Smith's idea of fail forward. Um, but for me, failing forward in my life right now is failing in such a way that counteracts people's opinions of me and is a benefit to my life. So a lot of the entrepreneurial things that I'm doing, like the podcast, like selling stuff, whether it be real estate or insurance, all of that meets criticism. And so when I fail, that criticism holds water. And my continuing to fail forward, despite that criticism, because it's benefiting my life and is the vision I have for my life, it's lined up with that. Doing that over and over has kind of allowed me to do a couple things. One, act despite people's opinions of me, but B, hold water in conversations where people are criticizing me because I've gotten kind of a, for lack of a better term, body armor when it comes to like, like you're not going to hurt my feelings if you criticize me. And so because I've built up that armor, it allows me to be criticized, receive it, and then like ask people questions in a reasonable manner and not flip out on them emotionally. And so I would say fail forward in that specific way is my advice. Where'd you play football? I played at Davidson College. Okay. In what position? I was a linebacker and defensive end, but I only played for a little bit because I actually, football was the first step of me not living other people's lives. I had been playing football oh, for okay. other people. And then I eventually ended up like deciding this isn't for me. I'm not going to be miserable for the next four years. Ended up quitting football pretty early on in college and went on to go do what I did. So. All right, so here's a football analogy for what you just said. That's pretty awesome. And it gives me a chance to put in a plug for my K-State Wildcats, who should be ranked higher than eight. And they're <laughs> going to beat TCU in the Big 12 Championships. And they should be going to the to a January Bowl. But be that as it may, the thing that's made K-State so good over the last few years are tall quarterbacks. Mm. Because so many times a linebacker, you'll appreciate this, how many times have you seen a design quarterback run that you stopped at the line of scrimmage? That should be a failure for them. But what did they do? All six feet, five inches of them fell forward. Yep. And six feet, five inches is two yards. And two yards is a first down on every third and one. Yep. Fail, falling, failing forward. And I think that's an awesome analogy. I love it. Well, there we go. I think that's a great way to tie up the show. Dave, thanks for coming on. It's awesome. Come and find us at the1031investor.com if we're going to wrap you out. There we go. All the ways to contact Dave will be down in the show notes, his website, all of his social media, all that good stuff. If you loved what he had to say, if you know somebody looking to do a 1031, connect them to Dave. Thank you guys for watching the show. We will see you on the next one. And on that note, we're out. 
Guys, thanks for listening. Make sure to reach out to our guests and help them accomplish their dreams and goals if you resonated with them. If you're looking for any intentional masterminds or one-on-one coaching to accomplish your dreams and goals, make sure to check out the website, workwithtimmydouglas.com, and contact me either there or on social media. That's all I got. Have a blessed day.